All right, y'all. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Unfazed, Unedited Podcast, where we provide commentary on complicated topics in an uncomplicated format. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, hers pronouns. And I am here, of course, with Dr. Lisa. Good to see you. And I know we've got a lot to cover today, right? We certainly do. Um, my pronouns are she, hers also, and we have a bumper episode. We actually have um, made a lot of, lot of um, executive decisions about what to include and what not to include because we just felt like there was an overwhelming flurry of interesting topics to discuss. So you're going to get three of them today. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's always the issue, Lisa. We have more than enough current events and topics that we can cover. Um, again, this is all unscripted, y'all. However, we do make decisions on what topic we're going to fly from. So uh, we had more than enough uh, this week. Um, we're still going to encourage y'all to write in and drop comments and ask us questions, of course, that we can add to that list. There's never too many. We'll get to it eventually. Um, but our first phase today is one that really hits home for me because as many folks who know me, know me well, uh, know I've gone on a natural hair journey, if you will. Um, I used to wear very relaxed hair. Um, I used chemicals on my hair from 12 years old up until I want to say about 30 something ish, um, 35, 36 ish until I finally did the big chop, cut all my hair off and uh, decided that I was going to go natural without uh, those chemicals that uh, a lot of studies have shown have led to um, breast cancer more cases of breast cancer in African-American women, for example. So lots of different things. Um, I just made an, an executive decision with my hair, okay? Um, and so with that, let me tell you, when I hear ongoing stories about hair and the challenges that African-Americans have to deal with, whether it's at work or in educational spaces in regards to their hair, it just grinds my gears y'all and so we're going to uh kind of go back because this is not a new story but finally we're ha we have a trial that's uh scheduled for february 22nd for daryl george who is an 18 year old junior um in texas uh in the barbers hill independent school district and ironically barbers hill in that ironic y'all um but anyhow um it's a problem here, y'all, because we have an African-American young man who um, has apparently it looks like lots that are usually pinned up. Um, Lisa, I intentionally went out there to look for a photo uh, if he wore his hair down just to see a photo of the length of it, given that that seemed to be part of the challenge. Um, and the reason why this young man continues to be uh, sent to end school suspension because of um, this policy that just is not appropriate for um, a number of reasons, based on gender, based on race, based on all the things. Um, and so as of June 2023, 23 states enacted their own Crown Act into law. And so Texas has its own Crown Act. And so that's what's being used kind of as a launching pad um, to challenge um, why this young man continues to get suspended. Uh, Principal Greg Poole took out a full page ad in support of his 
decision to suspend this young man and continues to hearken to topics that really don't inform the educational space, whether it's uh, bringing up, for example, West Point. Shout out to all my friends who are alumni of West Point and other military academies. Pulling in this notion of conformity from military academies, rigorous expectations of dress, I just think it's ridiculous, Lisa. And so, you know, I thought I would bring it up because it hits home for me for a number of different reasons. Um, also, too, I have a 12 year old and a nine year old that really want to grow their hair to wear locks um, in school later on uh, because they they want their dad's hair. And so they want to wear locks as well. And so this easily could be me, except I'm here in Maryland. And so I was wondering if you had heard about the story and really what you thought about the story. Lisa, I know that obviously you have your ponytail coming down. Um, you have longer hair as well. So I just thought, what might you think about this um, from your lens in particular? Yeah, I mean, it's stupid, which is not a very um, adult critique, right? But I just, I mean, for those who don't know, the Crown Act stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. And these acts have been implemented across the country um, because Black and African American people have routinely and continue to experience discrimination based on their hair, right? And so this principal, Greg Poole, is talking about conformity and that that's what you need to do for the good of society. But what he's really talking about is conformity to white standards, right? And so hairstyles have been used to oppress uh, Black and African-American people in the workplace in particular, but also now in these gr these groom grooming um, policies in schools. It just sounded funny as I said that grooming policy. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, so I'm not surprised to hear it. I mean, I remember hearing about it last summer when it first happened and it just blows my mind. But based on reading the Crown Act in Texas, so while every state has one, every state that has one of these acts, they may be written differently. In Texas, it really just prevents um, discrimination based on um, the type of hair texture and protective hairstyle that's commonly or historically associated with race and so that's defined in the law as braids locks and twists it does not address length and the policy the school policy or the district-wide policy i guess says that for male students their hair must not extend below the top of the t-shirt collar so for those who are watching this kind of at the collarbone right um and but if you have hair that long and it's gathered on the top of your head or it's lifted up so that it's not touching um, the t-shirt collar, that's still a problem, right? So it's, right. Um, right. so that's what they're likely, that's what the district is likely catching this young man on, right? Is that you have longer hair, even though you've put it up and it's very neatly, I mean, I realize neat is also a subjective term, right? But in a, from a white lens, it's a very neat the way he has his hair, right? Um, and it's not sufficient because if he were to let it down, it would touch his shoulders. And so right. there's this whole, this whole hair policy is like horribly sexist because it also bans ribbons in the hair because that's distracting. Like, well, who's going to have ribbons in their hair? It's probably going to be cisgender girls that have ribbons in their hair, which makes me think of those like girls, cisgender girls can't wear spaghetti straps because that's distracting to the boys so that feels like that right so um i i don't i i it, it is it's stupid it's stupid because your your point is that these this has nothing to do with learning outcomes and the learning environment this young man is a straight a student he's about to graduate and this 
ridiculous, ridiculous um, charade is is absolutely about a presumption about what is right and appropriate and that any any way he wears his hair is going to be unacceptable right 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 that's what it feels like to me it just just like just like blatantly racist behavior. right 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 exactly yeah and and you know that that's what's so challenging about the hair piece which you know anyone who has heard any of our podcast episodes where i have gone on my own rant about black hair needs to understand that even as i'm reading the principal's language about uh, supporting his position on hair, he keeps referring to hair as a style. For Black people, it is not a style alone. It is history. It is tradition. Uh, it has been a protective measure. Um, I read somewhere, I forget the exact quote, but uh, someone mentioned how um, Black hair is like its own museum where it teaches you something. Um, so for example, even thinking about cornrows, for example, that uh, were actually braided in the shapes of maps to freedom at a certain point in African-American history. And so to say that, you know, this is just a style is overwhelmingly simplifying what's going on here, number one. And number two, I still do not understand how conformity actually helps education. I would think that nonconformity would help education because then we could have very interesting conversations about difference and about people's history. It opens up another history book about a group of people if you're willing to have those conversations. And so I think what's really interesting is that it's always okay to conform when it's conforming to whiteness, maleness, and cisgendered maleness. It's never okay to think about either nonconformity or conforming to something outside of those identities. And so for me, it is extremely frustrating to see a high-performing African-American young man uh, being targeted for hair when there are much bigger fish to fry. I mean, like I'm, I'm even thinking about Lisa, you know, what does the the teacher's um, dress code or any of that look like? Because I'm thinking to myself, if the teachers have to adhere to similar policies, then I'm not sure I know any woman of color that would fit into this job description. Like I could not walk into their school right now as an educator that was licensed and trained because of my hair, because I do wear my hair in a very similar um, hairstyle when it comes to mohawks and shave very closely. I'll wear a design in my hair, what have you. And so I'm thinking about all the people, not just me, all the people that I know that identify as a global majority in the US, a minority based on power that would not fit this mold. Why would you want to do that when we live in a country where there's already a shortage in teachers, where there's already a shortage in uh, or lack of diversity in particular areas of the country? It is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And, you know, to to your great point earlier, Greg Poole, this principal, took out a one page ad in support of his decision about this whole thing. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, how interesting. You know, th there's this country phrase, y'all, I know it's not the greatest, but there's this country phrase that says, hit dogs will holler. If you are wrong in any way, shape or form, but you're still defending yourself and defending yourself loudly, therein lies the problem. You're clearly 
identifying yourself as a problem. And if it's truthful and defensible, then you shouldn't have to defend it. So I'm like, really? Right. You spent that kind yeah. of money to defend something in a mm -hmm. one page ad? It It's terrible. Um, I hope that things work in the family's favor of the student, um, given the tone and the climate of Texas about this and even the ambiguity around this. I doubt it um, because part of this, Lisa, still reminds me of Brown versus Board. You know, the, the many years between when things were enacted into law and the gap between then and when people actually started enforcing it. Ask my mom, you know, one of those folks that she was caught up in when they finally decided to enact things. Well, now Texas should have its back against the wall and it's being required to enact um, or at least consider seriously in real time how the Crown Act should really, uh, you know, happen in real time. And this could be a precedent, a major precedent. Yeah, I mean, it's Texas. I'm not feeling very optimistic. No, Sorry not at all. Texans out there, but the the text of the act also doesn't talk about length. So I could absolutely see exactly. a court in Texas just going on the words of the the, the a textual interpretation um, right. and being like, it's perfectly fine, right? Even though it has a disproportionate impact on an already minoritized and mm -hmm. oppressed group of people. And there's no way that's not intentional. Like, no way it's not intentional exactly so, anyway, anyway exactly exactly <laughs> so we will drop a bunch of links into the show notes related to this because we found a couple of good pieces um about it that hopefully you will enjoy so let's shift gears here on to uh phase two so we wanted to talk a little bit about the oscar nominations it seems kind of funny coming off of phase one right the oscar nominations feel very like inconsequential with everything that's going on in the world and then you know this young man's experience of repeated discrimination however there are some key nuggets that we wanted to highlight related to those oscar nominations so the first one we wanted to talk about is for those of you who have seen the movie rustin which is um a, a biography a biopic about Bayard rustin who was um pretty central to the civil rights movement and the March on Washington. It's an excellent, excellent movie. And I believe it's produced by the Obama's production company. Yes, right? it sure is. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he's been nominated for a number of best actors. So Golden Globes um, and now an Oscar for best actor. So his name is Coleman Domingo. So good. Who's so good in that role. Um, but what's interesting and what we wanted to highlight is that he is only the second openly gay man to earn a nomination for playing a gay character. At the Oscars, right? So when you think about that, there are a significant number of gay characters that are portrayed in the movies. And a lot of times, at least historically, maybe less so in the 2020s, those characters were portrayed by heterosexual people. So there was a very small pool of um, gay actors who were playing gay characters who then um, would be nominated. I mean, I'm thinking about Sean Penn, right? Who played um, uh, Harvey Milk. Mm -hmm. and, yeah yeah know, and, oh that's a good one yeah and I, yeah and i think i think he got some accolades for that i can't remember whether he got oscar nominations for it but yeah so he does not mm -hmm. identify as gay to my knowledge right um and so it's mm -hmm. these are the pieces around the oscar nominations that we don't ever think about right we don't yes. ever think about um, yes the ways in which it yeah it's people so easily take on identities 
um, that are not theirs, and then they get applauded for doing it. I mean, I'm thinking of Hilary Swank in um, that movie from years ago where she portrayed a trans man. Um, and, you know, plenty of trans actors that probably could have done that and done that well, right? But at the time, that was just not a thing to do. And I think she got Best Actress Oscar for that. Um, or it was at least nominated. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what do you what do you think about that, Shauna? Because well, you've seen the movie. Well, now let's let's think about this at the same time because now folks, listeners, please correct me if I'm wrong. We have the dichotomy here because previously in a previous episode, I uh kind of hinted around at how wonderful American fiction was, uh, which also had a number of nominees. Well, to my knowledge, Sterling K. Brown also is not a gay man in real life. However, he is an African-American man. And the character in American fiction is a uh, a African-American male and his coming out process. So it's like, you know, moving along the spectrum. So, you know, even that, which I adore Sterling in everything he ever plays in. I don't care what it is. He's fantastic. But yet that would be an example of what we're talking about here, where you're getting an accolade, but you're not necessarily part of that community. Um, and so that's all very interesting to me. But yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, Coleman Domingo, um, big ups to Philadelphia, his hometown. I'm there a lot for work. Um, Coleman Domingo has been working for a very long time. And so it, it just, he should have gotten his flowers long ago. So I'm so glad to see that happen. Um, American Fiction with Jeffrey Wright and Sterling K. Brown, both uh, up for leading for lead and supporting actor. Um, so both of those. Um, we had, again, it's, it's so interesting, right, Lisa, because I feel like I should be saying we had a good bit of underrepresented folks that were highlighted this year, but at the same time, it's like a drop in the ocean in regards to the totality of the nominations at the very same time. Um, what I think is interesting is that we all, you know, people went over the top about Barbie, but yet, you know, Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, neither one got a nod for that movie, but Ryan Gosling did, how about that? Um, America Ferrara, definitely. Um, so I, I just think it's interesting how we're seeing this increase in representation, but the complexity even within that at the very same time. And so, you know, some folks are of the camp, you know, forget it, you know, let's, let's just completely divest from these awards, programs, ceremonies, nominations, etc. But I also understand, I read an article, this was last year this time when the nominations came out where it's really frustrating for the working actors because they know that it's problematic when it comes to nominations and even award winners and yet at the same time you need those awards and those nominations in order to increase your value in the marketplace so that you can continue to get paid at or close to equitably to your white male cisgender counterparts and their roles. And so it's, uh, it, it's very frustrating to me. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I'm mm -hmm. like, yay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like Issa Rae, I'm rooting for everybody black, but yet at the same time, I'm like, this is some bullshit overall as a system. Um, and so how can we both be a part of the system yet name all of its flaws? It's, it's pretty clear here. It's pretty clear. Yeah, um, you know, and I'm going to say something that might be controversial. I I didn't love Barbie. Do it, do it. 
Um, uh-huh. And everyone, everyone told me I would love it and that it had a good message. And I don't disagree that it had a good message, but I just, I don't, I mean, right. I don't think Margot Robbie deserves the Best Actress nomination or Greta Gerwig Best Director for that. I understand the irony of a movie about patriarchy and then the one person, yeah. well, not really the one person, because I do want to talk about America Ferrera, but Ryan Gosling yes. is the one that gets nominated, right? Right. Um, so that's, you know, that irony was clearly missed. But what this whole big hullabaloo about Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie not getting a nod um, mm-hmm. is overshadowing the fact that America Ferreira did. Did, and that's she's right. getting Best Supporting Actress. And she, it's um, just from a little research, she's one of eight Latinas who have been recognized in this category's history. So out of mm. which it sounds like two actors, like the original West Side Story and the 2021 oh, yeah. West Side Story. Folks, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. From there, both both won the mm-hmm. um, supporting actress. And so everyone is getting up in arms that two white women didn't get nominated, yet a woman of color, a Latina, Did. who is the, only the eighth, the eighth Latina to be nominated in the Best Supporting Actress category in the whole history of the Oscars, is getting completely overlooked by this two white women didn't get recognized but a white man did and i still mm. i still think there's a critique there but i just yeah. don't think barbie was that good of a movie right right like, right 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 you know? yeah i, I, mean, I was like there was an, yeah i wasn't impressed i'm no. with you I, i'm just agreeing I, I was not as impressed as i thought i would be and right, i'm right. also you know as i thought about the the lack of nods in certain areas that always reminds me of that ticker tape list of black and brown and Native American actors that I remember that should have gotten nods for tons yep. of movies. Yep. And then they yep. finally get the award or at least get the nominations for a stereotype of our community. Mm-hmm. You know, like for example, I, every time I see this type of situation happen with nominations, I always think about Denzel Washington and how much mm-hmm. I felt personally, y'all, y'all write in and agree or disagree with me, how I personally felt like he should have been, he should have gotten an Oscar long ago, especially for my favorite movie, John Q, which names the ridiculousness of the healthcare system here in the United States. I feel like he should have gotten an Oscar for that role, but he got the Oscar for Training Day, which a lot of people, if you have not seen it, that's an older movie as well, but that was a role where he was a dirty cop, basically. He was playing a dirty cop in a role and it was a lot of uh playing into stereotype now he he played a hell of a character there too however the notion of playing a doting father over his son that's dying in a hospital and willing to upset already messed up healthcare systems is not oscar worthy whereas playing a gangster cop is Oscar worthy for a black man. I could I could go down the laundry list of roles of people that should have gotten at least nods that they didn't, and here we are. Yep. Problematic. Yep. And then it is problematic. And I, I would just throw in one last thing before we shift into our final phase. Yeah. Greta Lee, who was the lead actress in Past Lives, which I happened to watch on the plane on my way to Puerto Rico. I thought it was a great, great movie. Yeah. She got a nod for Best Actress at Golden, Golden Globes, I believe, but did not get an Oscar nomination. She's an Asian American woman. Ah. Some of you may know her from The Morning Show. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but that was a that was a great, great storytelling movie, different kind of movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. And where's where's the upset about that right where's the outrage around the fact that she didn't get that either Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't see much of it 
So. No, no. Yeah. So that that's why I'm like, you know, it, it's so hard because I do understand the actors perspectives of trying to, you know, continue to get roles that they want and having a choice of roles to select from um, as a result of their Oscar worthiness, award winningness, yet at the same time, knowing that there's some major flaws in all this. So, well, look, let me let me touch on a couple things before we kind of wrap things up for this particular episode. Um, I wanted to name a few things. Um, just a reminder, we talked about what was it a couple of episodes ago um, with Nikki Haley and naming or not naming the reasons for the Civil War. I'm like, oh, my God, lady. Um, and so it, she is still stirring the pot stirring the pot i mean i can't believe that she's this oblivious but i just need to name um that nikki haley said that we're not a racist country and that we've never been a racist country and i'm thinking to myself lisa you and i must be out there on pluto somewhere because we're clearly not on the same planet with this person to understand that this entire country was built on the concept of race that was turned into racism. Where's she been at, Lisa? Where's she been at? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, wow, you're digging a hole because you just yes. acknowledged after you didn't acknowledge that the Civil War was based on slavery. So if you acknowledge that slavery happened, how can you then say shortly thereafter that we have never been a racist country? Like, I understand a lot of people now say that we are not currently racist, right? Which I disagree with. Right. But to say that we've never been never a racist been. country after being called out on the fact that the Civil War was about slavery and then you acknowledge that, yes, the Civil War was about slavery, you're like, so slavery wasn't racist? Like, I'm not quite sure then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Look, anyway. I, I, use, I use the swimming pool example every single time. These people think they can jump into a swimming pool of racism and think that they are not wet. You are. We all are. We are part of this system, right? Let, let's let's not act like there's no water in the pool. There's water in the pool here. So yeah, I just wanted to circle back because I know we mentioned that before. So just naming that. Um, but let me give you some local news, Lisa. So I live here in Maryland in Prince George's County. And one of the things that is so sad, um, again, with all of the violence that happens against trans folks, uh, but I want to name that Taya Ashton was a trans woman that was murdered by Dialyn Price uh, back in 2021 here in my county, in my county. Um, they were intimate partners. Uh, it was deemed a second degree murder uh, in use of a firearm. And he did plead, plead guilty. Let me be clear on that. He did plead guilty. My issue here with this is a number of different things. I cannot believe yet another trans woman lost their life. Um, and on top of that, this was in response to revealing after they had been dating for a period of time that this person was not born a woman okay um and so given that pretty much admitted guilt pled guilty um i'm i am glad that trans panic wasn't pulled out as a legal defense for this particular situation um and at the same time it's like come on th this is this is ridiculous I'm I'm thinking about Lisa in a in a dating environment, removing trans from a dating relationship, any intimate partner relationship, taking trans identity out of that. 
if you did not want to date someone anymore, if you did not want to spend time with someone anymore, why would it connote that you have to take their life? Like this to me is the most sickening thought pattern I have ever witnessed. Um, and now let me give another book into this conversation about uh, Taya's murder. Um, so the murderer, the D. Allen Price was sentenced um, to 60 years, uh, but 12 years of that was suspended. So left with 48. Um, I have a good friend of mine, Dr. Folks, AC Folks, who's written a book um, that really does pair nicely with some thoughts around the trans experience called transgender inclusion. All the things you want to ask your transgender coworker, but shouldn't. I feel like Dr. Folks' book can continue to dispel the ignorance around trans folks, um, the fear around trans folks. And guess what, y'all? Trans folks are with us, are all around us, have always been all around us. The fact that anyone feels that they need to take someone's life because they don't understand their experience um, and other reasons that we don't have enough time to get into at the moment, that to me is disgusting. Disgusting. So on one hand, I'm disgusted by D. Allen Pr uh, Price. And at, on the other hand, I'm uh, about 70 pages into uh, transgender inclusion. And I just wish everybody would read it, learn from it, understand it, stop fearing the lived experience of individuals who, as anyone else would want to do, be in a loving, caring relationship with someone. Like, why does it always mm -hmm. seem to trickle mm -hmm. down to this effect? It's disgusting. Um, and on top of that, we know that, you know, Half of trans women who died uh, from 2015 to 2022, guess who they were killed by? An intimate partner. That's sickening, Lisa. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. Sad and Yeah, disgusting. well, agreed wholeheartedly. It doesn't surprise me in any way, sadly. I mean, that is right. a comment in and of itself, right? Um, right. But, you know, it, it it the desire or the impulse to kill Tyre was, it, I mean, likely tied to his sense of self and masculinity and what oh, that course. means for him, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's not all of it, but that's definitely at play there. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the trans panic legal defense you mentioned it at the beginning of your yeah. discussion of, of this, and so that's banned in Maryland, right? That's right. But, that's right. Um, but it's it's uh, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a legal defense that has been used as a tool to acquit individuals who have murdered trans people because they panicked because the person was transgender. And so then they just freaked out and shot them or beat them or did a thing that ended that person's life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. that's been that's been used. I mean, I, we don't have the right. stats to share the success rate with that but it has mm. come up in court multiple times and just think about that for a second right like because yeah. i panicked because i'm confronted with a person who doesn't conform right going back to phase one who is living their authentic life and that bothers me therefore i freak out and then i cause violence to that person and i can use that to defend myself i mean it's kind of like these like crime of passion right um moment of insanity and those kind of legal defenses as a means to step aside from accountability from the harm that you cause. So, you know, we, we do see that um, and it is being used more frequently, right? And then 
another comment, I guess I would say, is that this year, 2024, um, you know, state legislatures across the country, if they don't already have a variety of uh, bills or laws related to trans people and gender identity and gender affirming care, then they're coming, right? And Utah just passed, passed a bill on Thursday. So last week, last Thursday, they pushed it through in about nine days from what I understand. And it is requiring folks to use bathrooms. So toilets um, that are the uh, match the sex that they were assigned at birth, right? Not their gender identity. I think they do get the opportunity to use bathrooms and locker rooms and such um, of the gender identity that they they currently have um, if their birth certificate has been changed and something else, which I don't even know that you can do in Utah and is is like really hard, right? So the, the bar to be able to use the, um, to feel safe, when um, using a restroom or a locker room is like so high, it's not even attainable. As an aside, it's not trans related, but Utah also passed a bill related to diversity, equity and inclusion offices in higher education and in government. Uh. And I can't remember the specifics of it, but you can look it up. It's something to the effect of you can no longer have offices on campus that cater to a particular group of people. So like women or a yeah. particular group, yeah. African-American, Latinx, they have, have to be for the success of all students right that's essentially it from what i understand mm -hmm. and then the other piece that you all may have heard of is ohio had a bill that passed um banning gender affirming care for young people and mm -hmm. mike dewine the governor there actually vetoed it because he felt like it was too much of an invasive um step into the relationship between parents a child and the doctor yeah and yeah. um but the legislative majority is so great for Republicans in Ohio, they had enough to override Mike DeWine's veto. So that law is going into effect. Um, and yeah. that's just two examples, Utah and Ohio, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're happening everywhere. And this is, and youth sports, gosh, I didn't even mention youth sports. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Pre like preventing trans, trans youth from participating in youth sports. So you know, it's not just this violence um, against trans people and whether or not they're in intimate relationships. It's also about how are we creating the conditions for success and young people to thrive, right? Based yes. on their gender identity yes. and where they, where they are and what yeah. makes most meaningful sense to them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Lisa, to, to go back to what you were mentioning before about, I, I'm not well versed in the numbers, but let me just share this with you. I looked it up while you were sharing a little bit. So down at St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas, there's an associate professor of criminal justice that did a study to answer your question in particular around just the numbers here of, you know, success rates uh, using the trans panic defense. Um, what's so interesting about the study is that um, the numbers bear out that no, they're not any more successful using the gay or trans panic defense. And that actually is the least interesting part of the study. What he says is gay men and trans women still remain vulnerable, obviously, to fatal violence. Um, however, the way it plays out in court infringes on victim civil rights because it flips the script. So an allegation of sexual assault or violence um, against those victims who were gay or transgender makes them seem as they were sexual predators rather than the victims themselves. And so kind of flipping the script on all of that, even behind the numbers itself, it's like, okay, well, who's the victim here? Oh, it's so 
frustrating. Mm. And, you know, and then it goes in further into the, the, I don't want to get into the details of the type of brutality that's involved, like what's used and so forth, but he even goes into the details of that. So Lisa, I'll, I'll drop this study um, in with some of the other things we post on social media to give you more detail for folks that are listening. Um, but this is a major issue. And frankly, what's interesting is that it doesn't work. You thought you were going to use trans panic. Yeah. Oh my God, I was so afraid for my life. So I had to take this other person's life and that's going to be my rationale and my motive and still doesn't work in court. Well, it sounds like it works sometimes, but not always. Not all right? the time. Exactly. So not there are still juries that buy it. <laughs> and I would love yeah. to know which states those are in, right? Like what yeah, indicate, yeah, you know, yeah. where that maps out. So yeah. anywho, I, I want y'all to be aware and continue to educate yourself on these topics. Uh, Dr. Folk's book is just incredible thus far. Um, I especially want people to think about this in their their day-to-day -day lives, but also at work, because Lisa, one of the things that we've consistently talked about on this podcast is being proactive to creating spaces for everyone with this work and not just simply responding, oh, so Shauna, the trans whomever shows up. And so now I have to create a space for them, building spaces in such a way that it's already welcoming. And I think this book speaks to that from that lens. So encourage y'all to think about that. Um, and, you know, think about the, the families and the loved ones of these trans folks that continue to be disproportionately targeted. Right. It's sickening. It's sickening y'all. So yeah. Yeah, so we'll link to that book also in the show notes. So there's going to be a lot of links in today's show notes for folks right. who talked about a lot of uh, different things. Um, but yeah. I think that's it for this week. That's that's our um, phases yeah. one, two, and three. As you can see, we had a lot to say. <laughs> um, right. And we we hope you continue the conversation. So um, if you want to continue the conversation with us, uh, how do mm -hmm. they do that? How do they get a hold of us, Shauna? Yeah, y'all know what to do now. Y'all, uh, please subscribe at YouTube. It doesn't cost you anything. Just click the button and click the bell and you'll always get updates from us. Uh, make sure you're uh, subscribed as well. We're on Apple Podcasts. Go to Instagram, LinkedIn. Hey, if you have a question, like a specific real-time question, email us, info at unfazedpodcast.com. And of course, you can go to the website to get all the archived episodes as well as the newer ones and share them with folks, your colleagues, your friends, your coworkers, your family members, share them out with folks. Um, there are things that pop up in everyday conversation that we probably have a podcast on. Um, so share that with them and we will see y'all next week. Yep, see ya.